as a church at the moment, we are, uh, we are looking through our four dreams, which is the core of who we are, what we're about. Rich, can you turn this one down a, a little bit as well? It's Sam's vocal, yeah. So we're, we're, we're looking through our four dreams and in a way kind of recommitting to them. And our four dreams as a church are to be a church that children love, to be a prayer center for the city, to be a home for those, to be family for those on the margins of society, and to be at the heart of the community. And the best way to teach about culture is not to try and explain culture, but is to point at culture, to point at people who embody it, to point at examples of it. And our four dreams as a church, um, every, every church is just the a group of individuals. And so if our four dreams, our four dreams as a church, uh, if you're called to hope, it means that you're actually called to become those four dreams. So our hope is that everyone who is called to hope will in their own way become a prayer center for the city, that each of us will become people that children love, that each of us will be uh, people who create family for those on the margins, and that each of us will be at the heart of our communities. It's very easy to be attracted by a church culture without realizing that we're actually called to become the church culture. Okay, so when um, when I when I told everyone that that's what we're going to be doing from September, uh, Claire came to me and Claire said, uh, I, "I I I believe God is telling me that I need to share some of my story with the church." And there are some people uh, some people in the church who wouldn't touch a microphone with a barge pole. So when they come and say to you, I think I need to share my story in front of the whole church, you think, oh, that's really interesting, because you would never do that. So, um, and Claire's one of those people, you know, it's, it, she's not very at home right here. She, she'll be brilliant, because she's amazing. And, and in terms of people who embody what hope is about, Claire is bang in the middle of that. She is one of the most warm, welcoming people you could ever meet. So personable. She is incredib- on incredibly good terms with, all of, with so many of the children, part of the youth team, part of the kids' teams. Gets on like a house on fire with them. I, I need to get some advice off you because they actually find you funny. And I'm trying hard, man. <laughs> you know, practice is it. Have you got a handbook or something? Yeah. Uh, and, and she also um, basically runs our food bank on a Wednesday, part of the team that runs that. She's part of uh, Hope on Wednesday, has been for years, and she's a nurse as well. So, so cut Claire through, and she bleeds hope. Yeah, she bleeds hope. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll just we'll talk. We'll hear a bit of your story and, and, and hear whatever, whatever God's put in your heart to share. And my hope and prayer for us is that we will be able to hear God speak to us through what Claire is saying. Okay, so that's what I want you to be listening for is God's voice. So Father, we thank you for Claire. We thank you for the fact that you put it on her heart to speak and share today. We believe that you will speak through her story. We are open for you to speak to us. Whether, whether we're, we're familiar with you or not, we ask, we invite you to speak in whatever way you want to. Get our attention through this, please, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, should we start with a bit of your story and, and, and go yeah. from there? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, so I'm going to go right back to the beginning, which I was saying quite a long time ago now. And um, so I grew up in Bristol, um, lived with my mum and dad and my brother, who's two years older than me. And, um, and then very sadly, when I was four, my dad, who was a very young man at the time, is 32, um, very sadly 
died of a heart attack very suddenly. Um, it wasn't expected by anybody, as you can imagine. It was a great um, shocking event. I was very little, so I don't have a great deal of memory of that time. Um, but um, after that, when I was six, we moved to Glastonbury. Um, my mum was a really faithful woman and um, really loved Jesus and uh, made that decision to move back to Glastonbury prayerfully, I believe. And um, yeah, my mum my and dad had met in Glastonbury and they were planning on retiring there. So I think, and we had family nearby, so she just decided as well, you know, we were going to go there. And very soon after arriving in Glastonbury, we joined the Methodist Church there um, and soon became a really big part of that family. Um, there were several other families that were the same age, with children the same age as us, and a bit like when I first came to Hope, where you can't actually work out whose children belong to who and whose brother and sister is who, and they all sort of run around in one big uh, collection. <laughs> that was us as well. Um, and so all my memories of that time are of being part of a church family. So Christmas birthdays, Easter, school holidays, just having a great time. And um, we drove each other mad as well, like family, uh, but also loved each other very much. Um, and there's still people that are in my life now. Um, then when um, I was 11, uh, my mum uh, developed breast cancer. And um, that was a... Um, she had an operation and a bit of radiotherapy as, again, I was little. So as far as I was aware, it was quite a short-lived thing. Um, but then, unfortunately, when I was 14, um, she became poorly um, with a lot of bone pain. And at that time, it was put down to arthritis. Um, it unfortunately, it wasn't picked up. Um, and we're talking late 1980s, so we're talking a long time ago. I like to say that things have changed a lot now. And um, But, yes... Uh, she um, became immobile one day, was unable to get out of bed. So me and my brother called for an ambulance and called for our grand to come and stay with us. And my mum was taken into hospital. And um, at that point, um, a few days after her admittance, we were told that, um, unfortunately, she was actually end of life and there wasn't anything they could do. And um, she, we were told that she wasn't coming home. And she died four weeks later. Um, so it's quite difficult even now to articulate how that felt and how that still feels. Um, I, I did have faith in God at that time. And actually, I'd experienced the Holy Spirit about a year before, um, at, you know, a holiday away, like it often happens. And, um, and I had a real sense that my mum was going to be with Jesus um, I had a confidence in that, um, but it was also quite an otherworldly time. You know, it's um, I I had absolutely no idea that that could ever happen. I I sort of thought my bad thing had happened when I was four, and that you know that meant that my life was protected then from then on. So it was it was a great shock. And at the time of being told, I remember people talk about people having walls built up, and I remember very clearly very physically like a wall at that moment that one sentence mum's not coming home I felt a wall come up um, and it was almost like a force field where um, I sort of thought right I've, I've me and my brother this is the two of us in this together we've just got to get on and nothing's gonna be able to sort of penetrate that you know what I mean I just it was like a force field um, to get through I think
So, so age, this is age 14. Yeah. Yeah. Dad died at four. Mum yeah. dies at 14. And you, yeah. and you recognize an emotional isolation, a barrier goes up. Yeah. 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 To protect, I suppose. Yeah, it was protection, self-protection. And to all intents and purposes from the outside looking in, um, everything was as fine as it could be, you know. I went to school and I worked hard. I enjoyed school. I was really, really blessed with that as well. I went to a really lovely school, a small school. I had good friends and um, carried on the progression along with all my, my school friends. What I would say now is that I was in shock for years, I think, not just weeks or months. I think it was literally years that I was in shock that I couldn't really comprehend what happened. Um, and I found it very... We're not a family of talkers. And when I say that, I mean, people who know me know I talk. <laughs> I'm definitely a talker. But more likely to talk about, you know, your favourite Strictly celebrity or something, but not actually talk about the, the deep stuff, you know? So it was just easier to just crack on and just do and not really um, think too much about what had happened. Externally, internally, yeah. I was thinking about it a lot. Yeah, I bet. So, so you, you kind of li- you live with that and get into wor- working age. And what happens to your faith in, in that period? Yeah, so, so during working age, so when I went to university, I um, was a member of the Christian Union. I really loved it and met people that went to all different types of churches, and I've always enjoyed, I don't know, always recognised that God works in lots of different ways, and for different people that looks like a different thing, you know, so whether, you know, I don't know, charismatic or that stuff doesn't really matter. Although I always have a soft spot for the old Methodists, I have to say. But, um, yeah, so I was really a member of the Christian Union, and my faith um, was really encouraged by being part of that community, and then I moved to Bristol and um, went to Woody's and again met a really amazing group of people in my home group and um, had days that were difficult, obviously, and dark times. And again, like I said, I find it hard to articulate, but one way I heard Fiona Castle speak once, Roy Castle's of a generation again, Lizzie knows, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember her saying that how she described her grief was as being homesick, like permanently homesick. And I thought that's just a really good way to articulate it, not for the really difficult days, but even on the good days, there's just that sense of feeling homesick. And um, anyway, so I, yeah, so I went to Woody's and I had a really, I really loved being part of that church. But again, it was more part of being a home group. Um, I was sort of in my early 20s, and it, rather than being the extended big church at that time. Um, and then as time, time went on, um, I'd lost a few more family members, and actually um, so my, my nan became um, unwell again. I mean, expected. Can we, yeah, I just want to, I want to, I want to delve into this moment with your nan, because it was quite, a, quite an important, when we talked, it was quite an important part of the story. So can you just explain the, 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 the um, God speaking to you about your nan and then how that all unfolded? Yeah, so my nan was actually my, my dad's mum, and um, I wasn't as close to them as I was to my mum's side of the family. And actually, we had quite a distant relationship, me and my nan. It was, I would go and see her, but it was always a sense of um, duty because I thought I should. It wasn't really something that I wanted to do. 
as something that I found easy. And then one day I was at my dad's grave, which is actually where my nan lived, and that's where my mum decided he should be. And um, I was visiting that grave, and it's one of the only, well, one of the few times I've heard God, I think, really audibly almost. And I heard the words, honour your father and mother, and I just felt really strongly that God was telling me to honour my dad by looking after my nan and doing the job that he would have done. And so I made an intentional um, effort, I suppose, to um, to care for her and to actively seek out a relationship with her in a way that I hadn't done before. And so she ended up going into a nursing home, and a bit like um, the grandparents in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, she didn't get out of bed for about seven years. And um, so although she's been cared for really brilliantly in that home, um, I would go over a weekly to see her in Gloucestershire, and um, by the end of her life, we were we were very good friends. You know, we had a we had lots of funny stories, and yeah, we had a really loving relationship, which was fantastic. Uh, but also then very painful um, uh, when she died. Again, it was an expected thing, and um, she was elderly, and she wanted to go, and again was a lady of faith. But um, at that time, I think a lot of grief that I'd held with me for the rest of my life prior to that had to come out at last and so it did and so I had a very dark time and I wasn't able to engage with God or come to church um, I just want to pause you there because because I think hidden in Claire's story is an amazing uh, amazing difficult aspect of God's nature so Claire built up a wall age 14 where her grief was shut away because she couldn't really process it as as a child and she's then, she, later in life, she goes to her father's grave and God says, honor your father and mother in mind, meaning look after your nan, who she doesn't have a deep relationship with at that point. God knows that through Claire doing that and investing in her nan, she's going to emotionally connect with her nan and become deep friends with her so that when her nan dies, it like massively impacts Claire and brings up all the grief from when she was a child. So why does God do that? Why does God do that? Because because wholeness is impossible when there's unprocessed pain. And so in his kindness, and, and even though it's difficult, he journeys with Claire to a point where she's vulnerable and emotionally connects with her nan, last remaining grandparent, wasn't she? So that she, um, so that he could heal her. But it got so much more painful. Okay, so God's fathering is, is, uh, always has purpose, but doesn't always feel pleasant. Okay, and so I just want to highlight that moment of an amazing moment where you hear God's voice, but ultimately it led you to, to be vulnerable and emotionally connect. And now, with all of that in mind, what happened to your faith after your nan died? So um, I never have doubted the existence of God. I've always known that he's there, but I just couldn't talk to him. I just, um, I couldn't engage. It was too raw and it was too painful for me to do that. Um, and so I would still come along to church at home, the Glastonbury Church, because I need to honour the people there and say what an amazing bunch of people they are. My fr- mum's friends, most of them are still around in their, you know, in their 
late 70s to 90, and they have been such amazing faithful friends to us, me and my brother. And it's really important to mention them because when we're talking about church family, which is what, um, you know, uh, they've done 35 years of being an amazing family to us. And they still send me, one lady sends me a card on my mum's anniversary every year to tell me how much she loves my mum and how much she loves us. Um, people, you know, I don't know, they just, they prayed for us all the time, but also done really amazing practical, practical things over the years that made such a big difference to us then and now. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, where was I? So, my faith when Mike Manny, I just couldn't talk to God. And, um, yes, yeah, so I'd go to home for Christmas, um, and Easter and those kind of things, but I just couldn't find myself settling anywhere regularly and engaging with the community. Um, and I also want to mention that God, like although church family is amazing, and that's what my testimony is really, is how sustaining church family has been in my life. Also, I think God works through people that aren't in church family too. And actually my two best friends who, when I told them I was doing this, said they better get a name check. So that's why I'm talking about them now. So um, my two best friends are people that don't share my faith. And yet I still believe they're God-given um, because they're absolutely my family and um, I wouldn't have survived without them. They are so kind and patient. And during that time when I wasn't being my best self, you know, they were so kind and patient and loving and ridiculous and funny and, you know, all those things you need friends to be. And so, yeah, I think I just feel so grateful to God that I've always been surrounded by amazing people um, and a lot of love, even when I haven't felt that. It's always been there. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, I wasn't coming to church. And I'll get to my bit about coming to Hope. So, um, I uh, I do have a sense of justice, which, again, I think was a bit genetic from my mum. My mum my was social action secretary at my church where I grew up, which wouldn't be a surprise. And um, so I felt a sense of injustice in one of the elections that we had around that time of life. And I just felt like I needed to do something. So this is probably 2015, I think, something like that. And um, I just really felt like there's no point in just ranting and raving, you know. Uh, I just needed to do something. So I decided I wanted to volunteer at a food bank. So I looked up online, saw there was a food bank at Hope. I live in Bedminster. It was good timing, a Wednesday. I thought I'd be able to sort my shifts around it a bit easier. And, um, yes, yeah, so I started. So I came to Hope via food bank. Um, and I was a bit nervous at first coming back into church environment, but actually got to know everybody as friends and um, all the people that are in the building on the Wednesday. And, yeah, just really loved being part of that again and staying for Aaron's lunches eventually after a few months on a Wednesday. Um, yeah, and sort of gained relationship with people here, and that was an amazing first step back. Should we talk Uganda? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then um, Annie invited me and another friend that volunteers at the food bank, invited us to a trip that was happening to Uganda. And at that point, I just knew that um, I needed to do something different in my life. I needed something to break the cycle of feeling, because um, I was feeling very lonely. And I felt a lot of my friends had also, you know, got young families and were less available than they had been, nothing that they can do about that. And I felt a little bit like my life was just circling and orbiting other people's lives, and it wasn't really that I didn't really have one, if that made sense. 
So I just knew I needed a bit of an adventure. And when that came up, I just knew that I needed to go. And um, I went with a brilliant bunch of people who are still very dear friends, every single one of them, and just had the most amazing time. And also, um, every morning we had prayer and worship, and it was just how I re-engaged with God. And I know that I was meant to go on that trip um, because it allowed me to... Yeah, it allowed me to open myself up again to relationship with God and being amongst people who were just so loving and kind. Yeah. Um, and I know at one point Silas said, I look back at that time and Silas said to me when we were there, oh, Claire, do you want to give your testimony tonight? And I was like, absolutely not. Why would I do that? Why would I stand up in front of people talking about my life for start? And secondly, I just at that point still felt I had no hope. Like, I just felt there was no hope, no joy nothing that I could share with other people because that's just how I felt in my soul, you know. And I thought, I can't stand up. I don't want to lie, but at the same time, I can't give anybody anything, you know, anything that was worth talking about, I think. Um, But then as soon as I came back from Uganda, we landed, the coach landed on a Sunday morning. And as soon as we arrived here, church was going on, actually, when we came back. And as soon as I walked back into the building, I literally felt like I was home and although I'd come to church a few times before the trip, I was still very anxious coming in. But, but after that, that all just disappeared. And I've just absolutely loved being here ever since. And it, and it does feel like home to me, you know. And, and um, you said to Silas, or you thought, why would I ever get in front of people to share my story? Because I've got no hope. You're in front of a few people sharing your story. <laughs> no. Have you got any hope? Yeah, I do. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I How's do. How's that changed? How, you it's, know. it's changed so much internally so like I say a lot of the time externally it might look the same to other people you know because I've always loved doing stuff and life and you know having fun or whatever but I but I just feel so I just do feel so different because I feel God's love I felt for other people I didn't feel it for myself and now I feel it for myself and although just just explain that that's that's a lovely what do you mean by that I just because I never doubted God existed, mm. but I just could always see him working in other people's lives, and I couldn't see him working in mine. And I think because I don't have a story of, a, of somebody being healed or, you know, those things that you hear, like amazing testimonies from people, actually, when I'm in the moment, I do still find it difficult to recognize, actually. But now I'm able to look back, and I can see so many points in time where God was working in my life and the people he surrounded me with and how protected I've been, um, that I, I, I know that love for myself, you know, mm. which I found difficult for a while. Yeah. yeah. And we talked a bit about um, that thing about miracles. You know, you, you, you've not seen those big miracles. There's plenty of that sense of unanswered prayer with the grief from your life. How have you... How did you pick yourself up again to to what to pray again to hope for God's goodness again? I'd, I'd still say um, out of the four dreams, prayers the the prayer ones the one I find hardest. And um, but I've, it's so encouraging being amongst people where if you don't have the words, then other people have got the words. And so I just love being part of here for that. Um, but also. Um, oh, sorry.
I th- yeah, and I think, well, I was, actually, I was just saying, I, I read even last night, I was, you know, quickly looking through the Bible for things that spoke about, you know, orphans and things. So I was like, oh, that might be useful. Anyway. Give us a scripture, Claire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quick, quick, quick. And I was having a look, and actually, I was thinking, it's really interesting how it doesn't, when I was younger, this just wouldn't have struck me, but how, how God actually, he talks about the fatherless, and he talks about widows, and he talks about orphans several times, or the Bible does. And it doesn't say there won't be any, but it says that he's with people when they are. And I think that that's been such a powerful, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? Because actually, sometimes we can be taught that there's no suffering, or, you know, or that, you know, it's a magic. Believing in God is like some sort of magic bullet or whatever that protects you from all pain. And of course it doesn't, and we know that. And actually, yeah, so that's the difference is that I know he's crying with me and he's there with me. Um, and, and that's, oh yeah, I don't know what else to say. That's brilliant. Well, one of the things that I loved when I was talking with Claire was the fact that as you reflect on your journey of faith that you can see how God was at work, but it's, it's over a much slower pace than perhaps we all want. We want the, the quick breakthrough. We want the, the speedy answer. But it's a slow pace. It's a deep work. But it is a genuine presence in your life. And it, it's annoying that God does it that way. But he is, he is at work. And I asked Claire to give one example of God um, at work in your life. And do you want to just share about work and... and yeah, so I was just thinking about how, about being protected and actually, um, so I'm a nurse at the children's hospital and, um, working on a really busy, well, they all are busy, aren't they? But a really busy unit. And I'd done my time with shift work, you know, I'd done nights and things for 20 years. And I was at the stage where I just really couldn't bear the idea of it any longer because, uh, lack of sleep gets to you after 20 years doesn't it Lizzie yeah yeah and um anyway so I but I knew I needed to do something different but again I'm I don't really like change very much um for obvious reasons I think change is always uh, often change in my life has been negative so I sort of resist change quite often and but again I just felt that small voice of like you need to do something different. And then a job came up and I took it. And it's not something I'd ever thought I would do. Um, I still work half on the ward in education. And then the other half of the time I'm now doing data, which is not something I would ever thought I would do. But I actually started my job two weeks before the pandemic hit. And I just, and I just know that if I'd have been doing those night shifts and been feeling so physically wretched as well as, you know, all the other stuff that was going on, that would have been a really much, much more troublesome time for me. And so, yeah, I'm just really grateful to God for the timing of that, of that change in pace because I was still involved on the ward, but I just, I had a, you know, I had sleep, which was probably quite helpful at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the last thing I want to ask Claire before we we pray together was uh, how how is your how's your grief now all, all neat and tidy and packaged away I bet yes 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 <laughs> never to rip it no 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 I um yeah again I obviously still have days I mean I think about my mum and dad every day and I miss them every day like that that will never change but I um but my dark days my days when I feel really lonely and really on my own. 
are so fleeting. I mean, I couldn't tell you when I had the last one, which is really amazing. And I do just feel so, I just feel so different and so much more at peace now. And I know that um, when they come, they will go sooner than they did last time. And actually, it was always quite hard to see any good that had come out of it before. I sort of almost would refuse to see any good yeah. that had come from it because, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I only want to think that it's a bad thing that they're not here, if that makes sense. But I can now see um, that, um, I can now see that there are certain ways that I am and certain people that I can empathise with. Um, like, so for example, people in church who maybe whose families don't look like everyone else's for whatever reason, whether that's people who don't get on with their family or people whose family are absent for lots of different reasons. I, I do now feel that I can empathize with them in a different way than I would have done before. And, um, so yeah, it feels, I just feel so much more full of hope and peace than I, than I did before. Should we thank Claire? You're actually quite good at that. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need the tissues. Pass them, Ralph. Um, if, 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 you, if you want to understand what hope is about, don't talk to the leaders. Talk to people like Claire. Because, boy, boy, do they get it. Boy, does she get it. You know, she... she the avenue to which she came into this church she now runs. She, she's provided emergency accommodation for, for, for somebody over the past few years. She is, gets on like a house on fire with our young people and she navigates the challenges of her grief of, um, a, a different life to, 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 to what the handbook, you know, what, what we all hope for or expect that we should. And she just navigates it so healthily and so well. And she is an absolute, you are an absolute gift to this church. We would, we would lose our heart if you walked away. Not that you're thinking of it, just to clarify. Are you? <laughs> uh, so I wanted Claire to pray for us. Uh, I also wanted to just send a little apology out there because there are a couple of people in the church who, who have lost one or two parents and I didn't give you a heads up. And I'm re- and that's really bad of me. So I'm really sorry that I didn't do that. Really sorry about that. Okay. Um, but Claire, are you happy to pray for us? And I thought it would be nice to have a chance to pray for Claire and to pray for words of encouragement and words of original design for her. Uh, yeah. So would you be happy praying for us? Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your, for your promise about setting the lonely in families. And thank you that I can... I can see that in my own life and I just um, pray that you will help us all to be family to people that are lonely. But also, I'm so grateful that what I've found here in Hope is somewhere where actually family can be messy and, you know, and it doesn't matter if you feel angry or upset or um, happy, whatever. Family's there for all of that. And I just pray that... um, You'll give us all the strength to be vulnerable with each other, as well as helping each other, but also to 
yeah, just to be to be real when we're when we're with each other. And I thank you for your model of model of family that you set us to be in community and how sustaining that is. Amen. Amen. So what we'll do is we'll have a, a minute of quiet now uh, to pray for words of original design for Claire, words of life for Claire. Uh, we're not going to share them uh, sort of over the mic. So if you know Claire, please will you text her or send her a message. If you don't know Claire, maybe catch her after the service. But we're close to 12 and I want to make sure we finish on time. So let me pray uh, for God to speak to us about her and then we'll, we'll close. So Father, thank you so much for Claire. Thank you for the way that you've been present, the way that you've helped to heal her, that you've been able to walk through her grief with her, that you didn't leave her in that, in that walled up place, but that you fought for her. Father, thank you for the way that she is a complete gift to this church, that she is the, the hands and the feet and the mouth of the gospel, of the goodness of God, that, that the way that she loves and cares is, is, a, is a very clear reflection of Jesus. Father, we pray a blessing on her. I say, would you, would you favor her? Would you give her a, a, just a disproportionate amount of your attention? And would you speak to us now about her, Jesus? What have you got to say to her? Come and speak to us for her. Words of encouragement and words of original design. Come and speak to us and we'll have a few few seconds of silence. Amen. Let's thank Claire again. What a brave thing to do.